We are going to be diving into the book of Colossians today, and we are going to be hanging out in Colossians for the next four or five weeks. Um, I just want to say a couple of words. Normally, when we go through the scripture, I say to you, hey, however best suits you, right? Like if you want to listen to it, if you want to read along, if you want to do something else, do what works best for you to really process that scripture. Today, I'm saying the same thing, but I'm also going to urge you to do something else. When we read the epistles, which are the letters that are included toward the end of the New Testament, they are really wordy, and they have a lot of stuff packed in to these very complex sentences. The Greeks did not like punctuation, and so they have these huge run-on sentences, and that is true of our scripture for today. I think the first like four verses are just one sentence. And so listen to the scripture, do as you normally do, but I am also going to ask for you to keep your order of worship in front of you just with that passage so that that passage is in front of you so that, you know, as we refer back to it or as we think about it, you can look down and sort of know where we're headed and what we're trying to do. And again, I only say that because the epistles, they're great. But the reason why preachers don't preach on them all that much is because they are very abstract. They're very heady. They're very theoretical and philosophical. They're wonderful and they're rich. And we want to be able to talk to them together, talk about them together. So in doing that, let's help ourselves. Sound like a good plan? Say yes very loudly if you agree. Good. We're going to start off with Colossians 1 verses 3 through 14. Paul has already started out this letter by doing his typical, hey, this is Paul, and I'm hanging out with Timothy, and I'm sending this to you, the people of Colossae, um, and grace and peace to you. And then he jumps in. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all his people the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true word of the gospel that has come to you. Sentence number one. Sentence number two. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love for the Spirit. Epaphras was the church planter who planted the church in Colossae. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of God's will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please God in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his people in the kingdom 
of the light. For God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son God loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let's pray. God, we are grateful for the way that you call us together, for the way that you provide us new opportunities to understand you, to know you, to linger in your spirit. We are grateful for the way that you give us one another, to encourage one another, to inspire one another, to rely upon one another as we ask questions and explore this wonderful scripture that you have given us, this wonderful spirit that is infinite in its work. We pray, God, that as we come to your scripture now, that you will give us wisdom, you will give us clarity, that you will focus our attention, that you will help us to linger on the things that are important, and that you will let us pass by the things that are not essential to knowing your truth. Please clear away our distractions, the to-do lists, the anxieties, the fears, and help us to just spend this time focused wholly on you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So last week, we began this new year by following the wise men or the magi on their journey as they chased the light of the star that would lead them to Jesus. And we asked ourselves what light we plan on following as we head forward into this new calendar year, and we asked ourselves how well we plan on following it. Over the next few weeks, we're going to continue in this conversation about what light we follow in our lives by going through the book of Colossians together, using the scripture of Colossians as our metaphorical star of sorts, using Colossians as our guide to draw us closer to Jesus Christ. Now, how many of you took me up on um, my encouragement to read the book of Colossians this last week? Anyone? Anyone? No one. (laughs) Absolutely no one. You know what, though? You get points for honesty. The book of Colossians is this short little book in the New Testament. It has only four little chapters. Some say that it was written by Paul to the city of Colossae. Some say that it was written by someone pretending to be Paul to the city of Colossae. Some say that it was written by someone pretending to be Paul to people who were pretending to be the city of Colossae. I am not joking about this. Biblical scholars like any profession, they can find a way to argue over anything. I tend to be of the persuasion that Paul himself wrote this letter to the city of Colossae itself. But as you've heard me say before, and you will no doubt hear me say again, the Bible is more interested in recording the truth than it is interested in recording the facts. Who wrote it, to whom, and when are secondary to the truths that this letter is trying to declare to us. The truths that Jesus is who Jesus says he is about the kingdom of heaven, about the realm of that kingdom as it is breaking into the realm of this world. So while we will occasionally need to spend some time on what the context of the letter is, 
I don't think it is worth our time to get caught up in the weeds of trying to determine the facts. I believe it's better for us to spend our time considering the truths instead. So if at any point in time you find yourself with some question because you read on some random thing, although seeing as none of you read Colossians yet, I'm not holding my breath at the moment. Uh, feel free to come up and ask me, but I just, I just invite you. Let's focus on the truth and not worry so much about what we see as the fact. Okay? If you agree, say yes. Good. Now, you might ask why we are using Colossians as our guide this season. And if you are asking that, then it is a good question. Because there are a lot of great epistles in the Bible that we could go through. Romans is this dynamic summary of Christian belief and theology and practice. Ephesians or Galatians, they offer us encouragement to persist in the midst of challenges. Philippians consoles us in the face of our anxieties. First Peter comforts us in our suffering. First Corinthians corrects us in our stubbornness. And Second Corinthians praises us when we act in humility. There's a whole bunch of epistles that we could be focusing on to start out in following the light. Colossians is interesting because it comes at us with a bit of a two-pronged approach. In one hand, it encourages us to keep going in the faith that we have found. Or Colossians will make the argument that we should keep going in the faith that finds us. On the other hand, it reminds us that this good news that we have found, this faith, is unique. And it is other to the world that we live in. So let's persist and let's explore. As commentator Carl Jacobson says, he says, while Colossians 1, 1 through 14, that's our passage for today, while our passage for today doesn't develop around an explicitly stated question, it is an introduction of sorts to the implicit question that drives the whole letter to the Colossians, which is this, will you hold fast and true to the word of the gospel or will you be seduced by either religious fads or the basic principles of the world. Will you hold to the true gospel or will you fall into the religious fads or the basic principles of the world? We'll get more into that as the weeks go on. Colossians is a really upbeat, directive sort of book. It has both poetry and practical advice woven all throughout it. However, at the same time, it really assures us of our identity it assures us also of the good news of Christ and of God's supremacy in the world. And it also challenges us to not take any of these truths of Christ, of God's supremacy, to not take any of those truths for granted. It challenges us to be active collaborators and conspirators of the good news in the lives that we live every single day. The good news isn't just out here. It's not just waiting for us up in heaven. It is here and now, and we can be a part of conspiring to see that good news act and live and transform this world. There's a commentator named Lois Malcolm, and she gives this great summary. Because like I said, I think there were three sentences in our 14 uh, verses for today. She gives a really nice summary. She says, Paul starts with a thanksgiving for the Colossians, and that thanksgiving has these two parts. In verses 3 through 8, it begins by thanking God that the Colossians have heard the gospel and recognized God's grace. 
And then in verses 9 through 14, it, mur- it moves on to urge the Colossians to seek something more, greater insight, and to practice living out that grace in ever-increasing ways. Paul starts by thanking God for their faith, love, and hope, but then prays that the Colossians will receive another trio, knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. We start with faith, love, and hope. We move to knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. And Paul does that because Paul's trying to move them from merely hearing the gospel into walking and living in ways that correspond with the gospel. Lois Malcolm ends her summary. And here's where I think it really starts to get good. This is where we're going to spend the majority of our time. She says, Then Paul prays that the Colossians will bear fruit in every good work as they grow more fully into a deeper and more expansive recognition of God's grace throughout their lives. In addition, he prays that the Colossians will be empowered by the Lord's own glorious authority to face whatever happens to them with perseverance and patience, and the word endurance, which I didn't pray about today, or didn't preach about today, you're welcome, because you would have had to have endured through a very long sermon. <laughs> she, so they, they're talking about perseverance and patience and endurance, yet they can fully, joyfully give thanks for what God has done among them, even now, because... God has already made them sufficient to share with all the saints in the Messiah's inheritance. God has already made them sufficient to inherit all of this knowledge and wisdom. Paul in Colossians concludes by narrating how God rescues us from the oppressive powers and authorities and transfers us within our everyday lives into another sphere of existence. We are welcomed into this sphere of existence, she says, through forgiveness. And it's not the forgiveness that we used in the way that we're used to hearing about forgiveness. Like I kick you and then I say I'm sorry and then you forgive me, hopefully. Uh, It's not that kind of personal extension of grace in the face of our brokenness. They're using, the scripture is using forgiveness here in a way that sets us free from unjust forces and contracts. We are forgiven. We are excused. Okay? I know that this is all heady. We're going to open this up. Okay? This is why Colossians is such a valuable guide as we look for that light in the new year. Because what Paul is saying here to the Colossians is that since we live every single day in Christ's grace, since we have already been fully qualified, we are forgiven, as in we are excused from following the basic knowledge of this world. We are excused from relying on the same common sense that we used to rely upon before we knew God. What am I talking about? How many of you have ever seen the movie The Matrix? Raise your hands. Hi. Raise them high. All right. And look around. Good. How many of you have ever seen the movie The Sixth Sense? Yeah. How many of you have ever seen M. Night Shyamalan's The Village? Oh, hey. That's pretty good. The thing about each of these movies 
that makes them so riveting is that we as viewers are watching the movie with a set of assumptions about what's happening, about how things are working, about what is causing what. And then, at the very end of the movie, what we realize is that we have been operating off of the wrong set of assumptions. At the end of these movies, it turns out that we had no clue of what was really happening because we assumed that the plot was based on what we know to be true in our everyday lives. But then, bam, no, it's not. Turns out, we couldn't understand the entirety of the movie correctly because we weren't using the right information. We weren't using the right perspective, the right logic. In The Matrix, it's the red pill or the blue pill, right? In The Sixth Sense, it's realizing that the narrator is not as reliable as he appears to be. In The Village, it's discovering that the society around them is based on lies and deceit. And my friends, that is what our passage is saying here. We can't rely on the existing logic that we have if we want to understand the plot of what God is doing. Verse 11 in our passage for today says, says, May you be made strong with all the strength that comes from his glorious power. May you be prepared to endure everything with patience while joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. He has rescued us from the power of darkness and has transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. Friends, what I'm trying to say is that the book of Colossians is the original matrix. It's trying to point out that the rules that we operate from day in and day out in everyday society are not the most reliable rules. They are not the most reliable logic. They are really not reliable if we want to understand the plot of what God is doing here and now, as well as into eternity. Um, you guys are going to laugh at me for this, but I don't care. I prepared myself for it. Uh, I, you know I didn't go to church as a young child. I started going to church later on in my high school years and then became a Christian when I went to college. Um, but when I was younger, my next-door neighbor gave me that a card, and it had a footprints on it. Do you know what I'm talking about? And um, there's this poem, this footprints poem, and it's sort of gone out of style in the last few years. You know, people sort of poke fun of it, and I'm sure it's it's has some memes of its own. But uh, it's it's a poem that is still it still speaks something meaningful to me. I'm just going to read it in case you haven't heard it. It says, one night a man had a dream. He dreamed he was walking along the beach with the Lord. Across the sky flashed scenes from his life. For each scene, he noticed two sets of footprints in the sand. One belonged to him and the other to the Lord. When the last scene of his life flashed before him, he looked back at the footprints in the sand. He noticed that many times along the path of his life, there was only one set of footprints. He also noticed that it happened to be at the very lowest and saddest times in his life. This really bothered him, and he questioned the Lord about it. He said, Lord, you said that once I decided to follow you, you'd walk with me all the way. But I've noticed that during the most troublesome times in my life, 
There's only one set of footprints. I don't understand when I needed you most, why you would leave me. And the Lord replied, my precious child, I love you and I would never leave you. During your times of trial and suffering, when you see only one set of footprints, it was then that I carried you. How many of you have heard that before? How many of you haven't heard it in a while, though? How many of you are nerds like me and still love it? (laughs) There's a twist in the tale of the story when it comes to us and to God. There's a shift in the paradigm. We can't rely on the logic that we rely on every day if we want to understand how God moves in our lives. Instead, we need to be willing to abandon that old logic and to try out, to risk, to test a new one. We can't rely on our old logic to inform us about new light. And we can't rely on our old understanding of order in order to understand the new order of God's kingdom. How many of you have listened to the news this last week and heard about that 17-year-old intern at NASA? You hear this story? 17-year-old intern at NASA, his name's Wolf Kukir. He found a new planet on his third day at NASA. (laughs) This happened last year, but NASA only talked about it in this last week. And it turns out that this planet is 6.9 times larger than Earth, putting it at the size of like Jupiter or Saturn. So it's a pretty big planet. And in existing, we knew the constellation that it was in. But it took new eyes. It took a new perspective. It took a new hope, a new lens, in order to discover a new planet. It would be so much better if it was a star for my purposes, but it's not a star, it's a planet. (laughs) Friends, as we start on this journey over the next few weeks in reflecting on what it means to follow the light and to follow it well, Colossians is really careful to point out something to us right from the beginning. If we want to follow the light, we will not find it by following the logic of the world. If we want to follow the light, then we are responsible for remembering that we have already been given everything we need to understand God's intention and God's work through the experience of God's grace. Verse 12 says that God has already qualified us to share in this new logic, in this new structure, in this inbreaking kingdom. My friends, as we go forward into the next few weeks, remember with me, do not give up your responsibility of recalling that you have already been given all that you need to experience the fullness of the kingdom of God. But you can't do it if we rely on the things that we have always known through the way the world works. We must do that by stepping out in faith into a new form of logic, which fortunately Colossians is going to give us some more insight on. If you will, please pray with me. God, we pray that as we continue journeying forward into this new year, that we will go forward with every hope, with every curiosity, that we won't be people who settle for the the lies that we tell ourselves, that there's 
nothing new under the sun, that we already know all that there is to know, that we understand all that there is to understand. We pray, God, that instead we will step out in faith into a new, a new way of reasoning, a way that excuses us from the way that we have always been, the way that the world demands for us to be, gives us that excuse to say we're not going to abide by those things, by those ways, by those rules. We're not going to abide by that deceit, by that hurtfulness, by that selfishness. Instead, we are going to go forward in humility and hope and love and generosity. Lord, help us to remember that we have already been qualified to live into the fullness of your kingdom, not only in eternity, but also now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. That was pretty cool. (laughs) I love you guys.